Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Thank you for joining the Practical Preservation Podcast. Uh, Today we have uh, Joe McCormick with us. Um, So Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in real estate? Well, I always uh, open with, I've been living in homes my whole life. So that's where my interest starts. (laughs) But um, I've always been into uh, uh, sales. Uh, As a teenager, I sold bikes and skateboards and later that became selling cars. Uh, and after buying my first home, you know, which was a, uh, a Victorian, uh, townhouse, uh, I really got interested in that aspect of it. And while cars are my hobby, I, uh, both race and restore older cars. Um, you know, the car sales thing was, um, uh, well, it, 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 it's more of a one-sided deal. If you came in to buy a car, we re- could really get along. Uh, it'd be a great process. But in the end, I worked for the dealership. So uh, when it came down to the dollars and cents, it was adversary. My job was to take your money right, um, and help you make a great decision. Uh, when I got involved with real estate, it's a collaborative process. I work for my client. And while I'm involved in a home sale, it's not as much selling as it is my job is to supply the information that my clients need to make the best decision. And uh, the other thing is, is that, um, you know, I worked with high end cars. It was a lot of fun and some of them uh, have appreciated, but for most of it, um, the uh, cars were uh, a depreciating asset. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, when the next time I saw my clients to buy a car, um, the one that I'd sold them was used up. (laughs) And uh, the nice thing about being in real estate for 15 years is I'm now doing transactions with folks that I sold homes to over a decade ago and their life has changed. You know, as a realtor, we come into people's lives at that crossroads. The family's getting bigger, or the family's getting smaller or, you know, a job change or something right. like that. So we're always at that in the middle of that intersection. And I kind of look at it as we're guiding the traffic, you know, uh, trying to help facilitate. And uh, what I find really rewarding about it is that I've helped positively contribute to, you know, uh, a person or a family's future in that, you know, we, we, uh, I, I made some recommendations and with their sound judgment 
they acted and when it comes time to sell or change properties, uh, they've created equity, they've um, you know, put themselves in a good position to move forward. Yeah, it's more of an investment than a, and an asset Usually, not not yeah, always, I, I, but usually, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. It, yeah. It, it can be. We're, just like we, you know, we, you know, most of us need a car to get around. We all have to live somewhere, so for a certain amount, it's an expense. Yep. But it's also an experience in in that, um, you know. Uh, I was closing my balcony door. Sorry, the trash truck was outside. It's Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> not a problem. The, uh, you know. You know, where we live is part of our experience. And, uh, well, for the most part, all of us want a nice experience. And I'm kind of that way. Uh, I have always gravitated towards older homes because I found them more interesting because uh -huh. they tell a story. I always right. imagine, you know, my home is a stone colonial uh, farmhouse uh, built around 1810. I've traced the deeds back to 1760 as a contiguous part of land and from 1760 to the mid 1960s it was 127 acres and it was a uh, before being broken up into a subdivision it uh, most recently was a turkey farm and uh so i learned all kinds of neat things about it right uh, and learning the his like that connection to people in place and and the past i think is what connects people to to older homes i i don't know if you find that with the with your clients yeah, and it doesn't necessarily, I mean, everyone has this romantic idea that George Washington slept here or something. <laughs> you know, um, you know uh, so that may not be the case, but, uh, you know, lives happen here. Yes. And when, you, when if you're doing some of the work on, you know, some of these older homes yourself, you, um, you know, you discover some of that. Uh, in my first home, I uh, peeled back old wallpaper and I found a, a handwritten message from 1910. Yes. And um, when we went to paint, we made a frame and glued it <laughs> to the wall, you know, where it wasn't painted. Right. Where that so people can was, see it. Yeah. Simply because. Um, you know, I thought that was interesting. Someone else, you know, who later bought the home may have taken that down and painted over it. That's their choice. But I wanted to preserve the fact that, um, you know, John Smith or whoever it was, was there. You know, they didn't leave a name. They just, right. you know, wrote the date, you know, yeah. uh, which I, you know, found interesting. In my current home, there is a love message with initials carved into the third floor step. Um, and I even went on Ancestry.com. Uh, to look through the families that had owned the home to see, and I've identified the son of one of the owners with those initials. Uh, however, he didn't marry that person. Oh, no. <laughs> or, or so far, I haven't been able to determine that. So, um, <laughs> the, the wood carving graffiti lasted much longer than the relationship. Yes. <laughs> well, I, 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 the more, the more I learn about history and, and people, I'm pretty sure people have, people have been the same pretty much for yes. <laughs> forever. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, oh goodness. So when, when someone wants to buy an older home, like, do you have any tips for them? Do you have, um, is the process different? Like, talk to me about like, if somebody comes to you and wants to buy an older home, what, what do you, what do you tell them? What do you caution them? Um, well, I, I always make the joke that in my own home, um, again, it goes back to setting expectations and, um, you know, I, I do a little uh, 
uh, sort of interview process with folks, regardless of what type of home they're looking at buying, because I want to find out what their priorities are. Right. Um, so older home or not, you know, you can buy an older home that someone just spent a million dollars restoring and it's perfect. And it's likely not going to need anything, you know, for, you know, the next uh, 10 to 15 years. Right. In terms of so heavy ticket items. Of time, um, yeah. But really what their, their maintenance threshold is, uh, you know, these homes didn't last this long without some sort of maintenance or they're going to need it. And so really what any buyer needs for, you know, uh, in varying degrees, if you're buying a brand new townhouse, you know, you probably don't need too much knowledge uh, because, you know, it's, um, you know, it's pretty basic. Right. Whereas when you're looking at different eras of older homes, uh, you're going to want to work with someone who understands the difference uh, of what uh, issues may arise, both positive and negative, from right. different different periods, you know, uh, uh, and be able to point out, okay, well, in this craftsman style home, you know, this this was common, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, oh yes, this these, uh, you know, uh, you know, light fixtures, although they've been painted over, are likely brass underneath, you know, the built-in fixtures right. or something yeah. like that. Um, so, you know, point out the positives and then look at some of the drawbacks and say, okay, well, this home was built before in-home heating. So there's pipes that pass through the floors and, uh, there's likely a lot of, that you'd want to do if it hasn't been done already insulation wise or whatever that can right. yeah. help change this idea from it's a drafty old barn to, you know, it was updated with something that was different than what was initially designed. Uh, and then of course, uh, one of the biggest things I run into is, Uh, Older homes that in the uh, 20s and 30s were wired with electricity and it was using knob and tube. Right. And then later on, uh, and fuses, and then later on, a full rewire wasn't done. Uh, It was partially done. So, you know, it may have a circuit breaker now, but those circuits were tapped in from older wires rather than. Yeah. running that, you know, that's running what happened at our house we right. the first floor was completely redone we thought the electric had been upgraded and then when our when our second floor ceiling needed to come down because we had had water we were away and there there was two tropical storms back to back and the, our rubber roof rolled back and flooded the second floor when our plaster ceiling came down we discovered knob and tube and i'm talking to the insurance company they're like oh if we had known that we would have never we would have never right. insured you <laughs> But we and, didn't know because the ceiling had never come down. And yeah. and that's a thing that one of the, uh, the important documents in any, you know, real estate transaction in Pennsylvania, uh, it's required that a, uh, a home, uh, a seller's disclosure is filled out. Yes. And oftentimes, you know, a homeowner like yourselves, you know, even professionals that have a higher level of knowledge, well, none of us have x-ray vision. Right. So we don't know, you know, is that knob and tube, you know, what, uh, what's behind there. So I try to point out that that's a possibility. Now, you know, uh, buyers can sometimes get, you know, trapped in the headlights, uh, you know, get deer with, oh, knob and tube's terrible. I got to run away from this house. No, it, it, it's a problem. We just have to quantify the cost right. and what's involved with it. But also knob and tube left by itself isn't necessarily bad. It's usually the fact that someone was lazy and tapped into that, and now you are running a lot more current through that, or as I'm sure you've seen in, in a lot of construction jobs, somewhere in the 70s usually, 
so you know in the energy crisis someone came in and put insulation in right and stuffed it up against there and now we're creating a hazard you yeah. know left yeah. to its own devices it's it's all right you know uh and then the the thing is is that uh and this sort of blends into uh the question you had about you know hiring an agent uh you know they go hand in hand in that uh is the agent that you're working with do they have uh, a rolodex or you know, it's an old term, I guess, um, <laughs> uh, in their cell phone, uh, do they have uh, the numbers of qualified uh, technicians and renders and right. uh, uh, tradesmen, uh, craftsmen that can handle the sort of maintenance and or construction issues that you're likely to face that are going to be different? You know, you can call anyone to handle uh, electrical work on a new house because you want to add a ceiling fan or do this. But in an older house, there are contractors that won't touch old work. Right. You know, and, or, and yeah, it's that understanding. And, and if you bring somebody new and they, they might have the best intentions, but they don't necessarily, somebody who does new construction, they might not necessarily have the right solution. Right. And uh, I, I point out electrical. I, uh, you may not be able to see it, but this is the dining room from my home. And, uh, when we were looking at it, uh, when, oh, this house didn't get electric until the 1940s. Okay. And that's really great because we skipped over knob and tube. Right. Um, and when we find our uh, wiring surprises, as we call them, <laughs> um, it's we call it Farmer Bill Wiring because that's who lived here and likely did it. Right. Um, you know, they, they, these uh, this guy was a farmer. He was... Uh, uh, you know, graduated uh, high school in 1940 and got married and bought this property as a farmer. And, uh, you know, likely they, you know, that generation, they didn't hire contractors. They did all the right. stuff themselves. Yeah. So when they did, and I'm thankful for this to a, a, a great extent, everything is uh, surface mounted. Mm, right. It was um, easier. Yeah. <laughs> well, cheaper and they weren't fishing stuff. I like yeah. that because it's a lot easier to remove and go back to the original trim. Oh, than yeah. They completely ripped and hacked something up, and it was sort of put back together. Now, subsequent owners, you know, I take issue with some of the trim that they disturbed and everything, but for the most part, it's intact. Right. Uh, but when, uh, you know, back to the point of buyers, uh, you know, setting the expectations and having the experience to look at it. And, you know, I asked them what's important in their house. Their, their home purchase, right. you know, no matter what they're buying. And when folks identify and say, well, I want something with character, what's older, you know, you find out what periods of home you know, uh, you know, and what, and what are the attributes that make that home genuine and, uh, create value. And, um, uh, one of your, uh, questions was, um, you know, uh, you know, regarding older homes and, and do I gravitate towards them? Right. I, I don't push anyone into them because it is a different, uh, you know, purchase. Right. But most times, you know, uh, you know, no, no one in my 15 years has said, uh, I want to pay too much for a house. Uh, you know, most everyone is looking for a value. Right. And when we look at the long term, uh, I, in my opinion, and I've sort of demonstrated this with, you know, different numbers and everyone's different, but uh, older homes often provide a value in that the way tax assessments are done, normally the same square footage and the same property, you know, lot size of an older home is going to carry an older assessment value rather than new construction. Oh, that makes and, sense. Yeah. And you could, and, uh, what I'm sure, uh, 
experienced is that uh, very rarely do our municipal and state and county taxes go down. Right. <laughs> tend to trend up. So if we're starting with a low number, yeah, you know, they may go up, but they're going to be pretty steady. And yeah. uh, oftentimes, you know, whereas our values in terms of the actual house purchase, they can go up and down, but uh, oftentimes that number is pretty important because we divide the purchase number over 30 years, 360 mortgage payments. We have to look at that tax number and divide it by 12. So it's a very, very impactful number in terms right. of fitting into someone's budget. And oftentimes when we look at an older home with a lower assessment, we can provide value. Uh, I have three acres and all of my neighbors have one acre lots. Uh, I have a bigger home than most of my neighbors. I pay lower taxes. You know, yeah, yeah I, I hadn't thought about it that way. Thank you for, for sharing that because it makes sense to me because you can only, they, they're, they're not going to raise it more than, you know, if you start out low, they're not going to, that makes sense. But then when right. you have a new construction, they can start out higher. Correct. Yeah. The tax assessment in most areas goes by, you know, what the initial transaction dollar amount was. Now, I mean, this is sort of a little bit beyond the scope of what we were, want to talk about, but you can, right. you can contest that and everything. Uh, and I've, I've helped clients where we've done new construction purchases do that, you know, the, right. the initial tax assessment. But uh, it's done by the community and the rateable percentage. And uh, for instance, in Delaware County, because I work in both Delaware and Chester County, uh, a couple years ago, I helped uh, the son of a friend buy a twin home. Gorgeous construction. I mean, really, you know, top quality stuff. But it was a twin that was approaching five hundred thousand dollars. Right. Uh, if you had an older home across the street that was five hundred thousand dollars, the tax bill might be sixty five hundred uh -huh. at most uh, for the same square footage. Uh, the initial. Uh, tax bill in this this home was approaching thirteen thousand. Like, oh uh, my goodness! Yeah. So now we fought it. We got it down uh, to just about just under nine thousand dollars. You know, which was great. And they knew this going in. We did the calculations and everything. Says you know forecast for this, but the first year or two, it's going to be you know you're going to have to pay this and this one the, the settlement costs, and you don't get the money back when once you you know <laughs> it, it, you, it's going yeah. forward. Yeah. Uh, so th that's an aspect, and I I believe in other things. Again, going back to you know uh, with an older home, what's likely to go wrong likely already has. Right. And you know what you're getting, kind of a thing, and. Um, uh, a few years ago, I was working with my uncle, who was an engineer, and in his career, uh, working for Anheuser-Busch, in 40 years, he moved 11 times. Oh, goodness. So he always bought the home that was going to sell the quickest. Mm. Because yeah, he, he didn't know when he was going to have to move again, right? So as he retired, he and his wife, instead of... You know, they were always buying the home that they thought someone else would like. <laughs> right. <laughs> they wanted to build uh, or buy the home that they loved. And uh, what he realized was uh, all of the good locations, you know, uh, you know, in, in a given, you know, if you're near a suburban or metropolitan area, likely all of the good pieces of ground have already been built on. Right. In this case, he found uh, a very, very uh, generic home on a great piece of property and he tore down the foundation and rebuilt, you know, I mean, you know, and uh, made what he wanted, created what he wanted, which is a very prairie style, Frank Lloyd Wright, you know, oh, yeah. influenced home because he could not find that. And he was very, very uh, knowledgeable in what he wanted. He wanted a backyard 
with a tree view that faced south southwest. <laughs> I can mention that he's an engineer, a Navy right. officer, um, <laughs> an MBA, and now that he's retired, his hobby is uh, Iron Man, and he's done twenty four of them. Oh my and goodness! He's not yet. He's about he's about to turn seventy, so he's yeah. slightly OCD type A. Yes, um, <laughs> just a little. <laughs> but it it it, uh, it actually you know working you know, with him, because I know him so well, he's my uncle, uh, it, it, it helped me in my career in terms of ask very, very specific questions. Right. Because sometimes buyers aren't aware of what they actually want. Yeah. They have an and idea I, I find that we do that too when people are talking and I'm like, well, how do you use this space? Because I want to yeah. understand how you use it so that I don't, you know, just assume this is how, you know, what you do or, or you know, because it, it does help to make it, make it your own. Exactly, and and sometimes people have an idea, and uh, well, if you know what the intent is, how they're going to use it, and you know, uh, I, you know, I want a place to uh, drink my morning coffee and see nature. Well, it's a good idea if that's facing east, right? <laughs> <laughs> because otherwise, you're not going to quite have the same experience. But you know, and and you know, people can relate that, and sometimes you find out. Um, and I did this with a couple one time uh, that I, this was the fourth transaction we had done together. So I thought I knew these people. I right. invited them to my wedding. They're good friends now. <laughs> yeah. And we were looking for their downsized home. And for the first time ever, uh, they were fighting. And, you know, in terms of we were clashing about what we wanted. So I, uh, this, this is about four or five years ago, I made up this list. We actually went out to lunch to try and figure this out. And on a dope pad, I wrote, uh, give me your priorities. So they would, you know, work, commute, uh, the you know, number of bedrooms, bathrooms, that kind of a thing, uh, fireplace, and this and that. And so I said, all right. And I copied the list down and I gave it to each of them. They weren't allowed to talk about it, but I wanted them to number them one through 10. Um, one being that, the yeah. highest priority and 10 being the least. And they both gave me back the sheet. Uh, the joke about it was there were 11 items. And, I've, and I've done this several times. I say, uh -huh. number them from one to 10. Even though there's 11 items on there, there were like two number sixes. <laughs> <laughs> so, like you said, people are still the same no matter what. But yeah. what was interesting is this was a common list of priorities, but they had them in a different order. Right. So then we sussed out, you know, okay, you know, uh, the work commute thing, and we, we, we found common ground here, here, and here. And it's the same thing whether you're doing a renovation or what type of house that you're looking at. You know, right. you, when, yeah. when you find that. Yeah. Uh, and for one thing, um, uh, the wife wanted a, a fireplace. And whereas uh, the location that we pick is very, very influential on the work commute, uh, chances are we can add a fireplace uh, to, uh, to a home. Right. Um, so um, you know, that's, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a possible thing, but in terms of uh, buyers looking for older homes, you know, identifying the style and gathering knowledge, uh, attending events like the ones that uh, I attended that you, uh, uh, you know, hosted as well yes. as, uh, you know, the local historic preservation, uh, yes. yeah. meetings, stuff like that. You know, oftentimes these are very low cost. They're free. You meet people that have more knowledge and share the excitement. And, you know, that's uh, where you learn. There is a lot of information out there. Uh, 
they don't advertise as much as uh, Toll Brothers. And right. <laughs> <laughs> you have to go looking for it. Right. But in, in different areas, in Lancaster, you know, where, where you guys operate, in Chester County, here where I live, um, we have historic societies that have tremendous resources about, you know, period pictures and this and that. And, yes. you know, you can really learn a tremendous amount. And that, and that influences it because then, um, like you said, you know, these, these older homes have an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And defining what's important, you know, is, is this buyer's emotional connection. Right, right. So would you use the same tips then for if you're listing an older home would be to set expectations and, and, to, and to maybe, you know, tell the story of the house? Uh, absolutely. In fact, uh, today, uh, this afternoon, I'm going to a settlement for a property that uh, I sold that uh, is up in Coventryville. Um, uh, uh, and uh, we listed that home and it had some challenges because it was an older home. Uh, I'm six foot one and uh, in the attic, which was made into a bedroom, I can only stand up at the peak of the roof. Oh, goodness. Uh, so and some of the staircases are narrow and stuff like that. Yeah. And what was funny is, you know, uh, we sold the house immediately with, and we had a multiple offer situation because we advertised it as what it was. We did not try to make it, you know, appeal to everyone. Right. It's not going to. It's not going yeah. to be appropriate. So we, you know, focused on, uh, you know, in both the description and the marketing materials on how we're going to do that. Uh, what I encourage uh, folks to do, uh, even maybe before they talk to a realtor, but a realtor is often the gateway to getting an appropriate inspector, is I encourage, uh, you know, having a qualified home inspector that's uh, familiar with the type of home, whether it be colonial, right. Victorian, or whatever, and uh, go through the home. Because uh, more than likely, your buyer is going to have a home inspection. And they, and you know, like I said, 15 years of doing this, uh, even with say my parents' uh, property that was built in 1990, I had my parents do a home inspection ahead of time because they've been in the house 20 years. Just uh, a fresh set of eyes. Right, and uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, a good attorney never asks a question in court that he or she doesn't know the answer to. Right. And why would you want a buyer to know more about your house than you do or your agent does? And so that way, if you have this home inspection, it doesn't mean you have to fix everything. It does mean that you have to address it. And the best way to address it would be to get a qualified contractor or two to give you estimates. So you're framing the scope of it. Real estate agents generally don't make good estimators. Right. Um, And if an agent is walking through representing the buyer looking at your home, they're not necessarily motivated to sell that buyer your home. Right. They're they're motivated to sell that buyer a home. So if there's problems, well, gee, their inclination is to move to the next property. Right. Uh, whereas if you are informing people, people love information. You know, uh, crazy people hand out leaflets on the sidewalk, and we still <laughs> somehow pick them up. And you know, we're not even interested. But we'll, we'll we'll read it uh, oftentimes, but. Uh, when you provide that information and you know, people that have been, you know, they're not, uh, uh, they realize that likely with an older home, if you tell them that there's never anything wrong with it and it's completely perfect, 
well, we'll probably move on as suspect right. because anyone that's been around the block, you know, knows that, you know, there's maintenance issues and the older home is, it's going to have, uh, well, what we call character and experience. So when you're saying, here are, the, here are the issues and here's the path to solve them. One, you're complying with the state law, which is disclosure. Right. Uh, and also you're putting yourself at a competitive advantage because, uh, you know, you have to properly disclose, but also the buyer is able to see what they're buying or for. Right. And there's not surprises during that process. Yeah. And you know, the, the process is, is that for the buyer to have a home inspection, you've already agreed on a price. Right. So if we agreed on this, you know, particular home price of $300,000 and then we find out that it needs $20,000 worth of work, um, unless it's an unbelievably overheated, intense market, Right. Uh, that buyer doesn't want to pay 300 anymore. Right. <laughs> they, want, they want you as the seller to participate. And then you're in, you're working on their schedule of the contract dates. So being able to get uh, a contractor that will give you, you know, uh, an accurate estimate, uh, you know, the, the, of course the buyer is always going to err on the high side and as a right. seller, you want to minimize that. So by having that home inspection done by a qualified inspector, uh, that understands old homes and again working with an agent that has the resources to know someone like you or you know the tradespeople that can can take care of this appropriately at least to get an estimate if not and sometimes there's not money to do the estimate to, to do the work right but there's equity in the home so that you can say you know we can this will be paid for at settlement you can right. you know, there's ways to bridge that gap yeah. and people buyers are much more relaxed at that point in terms of, hey, this is an honest transaction. There's some issues with this house, but there is a path forward rather than the unknown. No one wants, you know, the unknown when making a several hundred thousand dollar purchase. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, 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 and it is a big purchase and it's scary. I'm sure that there's a lot of handholding. And that's exactly the time, um, you know, the X and Y meet from buyer's remorse, they, they, uh, buyer's remorse shows up the morning of the home inspection before oh, yeah. it even began. So, <laughs> you know, uh, so again, you know, as a seller, I want to be able to give my, uh, my seller clients the best uh, position to negotiate from. And that's the position of knowledge and strength and that they take control of the situation by knowing what issues may come up. We've, we found a way around them and you're putting it out there because that way all the buyers that aren't interested in that, they limit, they self eliminate. Right. You don't now even have to spend with, time showing the house and things to them. Right. Right. Yeah. We, we, yeah. No one, no one in the past 15 years hired me to almost go to sell. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've all had enough practice signing our name on contracts. No one wants to do this as practice. We, they want a result. They want to be able, like I said, we, we get there in an intersection where people are moving on literally and, you know, emotionally or whatever, and they want it, it done. This is the best way uh, to do that. The other thing is, is that a lot of older homes, people do have history uh, about it. Yes. And yeah. uh, the home in Coventryville uh, passed on through three or four different owners. I have a three inch thick three ring binder of all kinds of stuff about the local area. Even oh, my yeah. own home had maps and stuff. It, uh, one of the, the neat things that I uh, got with my home was, a pen and ink drawing done in 1952 by a local artist who happened to live down the road 
and he was an amateur artist and an architect. And during World War II, he had been employed by uh, uh, the Parks Commission in oh, Philadelphia yeah. Yeah. to make drawings of prominent uh, local historic, uh, uh, his name was uh, Fletcher McNeil, and he did all of these drawings, both pen and ink and, and architectural style, uh, in a pro proactive effort in that if any of these things, you know, this is, you know, if we were experiencing bombing like the British had or something right. like that, yeah. they would want to take out symbolic targets like Independence Hall, you know, and so he was doing drawings at uh, Valley Forge and all kinds of stuff. Because he lived around the corner, it just so happened, maybe he knew the farmer or whatever, he made this sketch. Well, that's... You oh, know, that's invaluable. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. and and uh, um, yeah, you know, uh, uh, as much as I am a numbers guy as a realtor, when I do uh, investment rental real estate or investment flip real estate or something like that, uh, this is my own home. This is my own experience, and I get a little bit romantic about it. Yes. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. I. I I overlooked the overwhelming amount of bamboo that's on this property, <laughs> partly because I was still thinking about that that history of the home. Yes, you know yes. The, the carving in the step, the the you know the uh, the the pen and ink painting from you know sixty years ago, like all part of that 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 history, and that's uh, you know that's what makes your home as an historic home uh, interesting. And also, uh, don't be afraid to show the people. Uh, the receipts and upgrades that you've made. Oh yes, yeah. You know, uh, you know. Everyone wants to talk about how expensive it is, uh, you know, to do work on a historic home. And yes, the, you know, the, like I said, I, I can usually show where you can offset the cost elsewhere. Uh, however, but um, you know, that's important to reveal too, because if the buyer is looking at older homes, and they're between home A and home B. And all of a sudden you see, oh, well, this had a new roof done and it was $21,000 because, you know, we complied with, you know, it's a cedar roof rather right. than asphalt shingle or something like that. Well, that's going to add value because the other home might need a roof. Right. And that's $21,000 you don't have to spend. Right. Or it was done, you know, with a lesser, less authentic material. And, you know, does it, did did uh, that owner, because they had a budget, did they disregard other valuable core elements of yeah. what makes a property, uh, you know, historic and maintaining that? Not, you know, uh, like we mentioned before, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's remodels start to erase some of that historic character. They do, yeah. And uh, that's where it starts to slide from being historic to just old. <laughs> <laughs> You know, That's it, very true. <laughs> historic implies that there's uh, there's a special value to it, and I've learned that more and more as I serve on the West Whiteland Township Historical Commission. And uh, you know, sometimes you know we, we're all interested in preserving and the adaptive reuse of uh, our historic properties. Uh, um, unfortunately, sometimes they've uh, they've been in continual use, and they've been. Uh, altered so many times over the years that you know uh, it might not be financially feasible, or or sometimes too much of it has been damaged right. to bring back. And you know, where do you go from there? You know, uh, kind of a thing. So we try to encourage people. Yeah, um, you know, let's keep the six by six. You know, uh, uh, 
uh, fenestration in the glass. Uh, let's um, please don't, you know, please consider using a traditional door sourced from a salvage right. home rather yeah. than the fiberglass uh, or steel, you know, Lowe's special that's on sale this week. Right. Because once you take apart some of those elements, um, you know, you are, in, in my opinion, and I'm trying to work with someone at the National Association of Realtors and uh, the his, uh, Pennsylvania Historic uh, Conservation Network to, to come up with numbers to say, listen, when you do that, you're devaluing it. And I sometimes make the analogy, uh, you know, uh, to cars. And if, um, if, if we had, you know, uh, a 57 Chevy, you know, it's a, a car people can uh, sort of buy into. Right. Um, you know, in, in terms of everyone knows what it looks like. So it's a very classic 57 car. Well, if we put a modern CD player in the middle of the dashboard, yeah, it functions and everything, right. but it looks completely out of place. Well, it's yeah. the same thing when we do that to a historic home. No, and, that, and I, yeah, I agree. And I think too, some of the things that we deal with that I'm sure is part of what you're, you're working on is that understanding of how buildings work and how built that building science of like, it doesn't really make sense to replace your windows first to save energy because that's right. not where your, your, your air is escaping from. It's escaping from the roof. And, you know, those kind of things where, I think, I don't know if it was before we started recording or not, but you were talking about, you know, the, 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 the modern approaches oftentimes will, you know, they, they have those marketing, that marketing budget where the educational component sure. of how an older home works doesn't have that marketing budget behind it. So it's, it's educating small groups of people little by little rather than, you know, having a, you know, a TV campaign. Well, and uh, I have made it available, but I learned it at your seminar about the University of Vermont study yes. on older wood windows. Um, and I make that available to people and say, okay, you know, they run commercials on any channel, you know. If several you sit on your several sofa, times during the newscast. <laughs> right. If you sit on your couch for an hour and a half, you're guaranteed to see, you know, some window company and over the phone you know, they will practically quote you and have you apply for financing and all this right. other stuff. Whereas, um, <coughs> um, you know, it, there's the, the lobby for, <laughs> uh, for redoing historic sash windows isn't quite, uh, it's got that ad budget. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, on the other side of things, like you said, it's uh, whenever I ask my clients either in preparation to sell a home or, you know, in advising them in, uh, you know, future upgrades, if you spend a dollar, you want to get as, you know, that dollar back as right. much as possible in terms of value. And uh, oftentimes what I've seen is with replacement windows, geez, uh, you've devalued the aesthetic of the home. Right. And the performance often isn't that great, especially when they are uh, not wood core. Yeah. They go to the straight vinyl. Those are 10 to 15 year windows. Yeah. And, uh, and but they're they're really cheap. You can just keep buying them. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, and part and part of what I've heard too, and, and you could probably speak to this from a real estate standpoint, is that people put them in right before they sell, right before they're getting ready to sell. And then people live in houses generally about seven years. And so then they're not having to replace them again. The next person replaces them. 
Correct. Yeah. And, 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 and with a lot of things, we have moved to a either planned obsolescence or, you know, disposable use society. Right. Um, and I kind of laugh. One of the reasons I bought this house is because it had weighty glass panes. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that was the intrinsic value. And uh, one of the projects that I did on my own home that has helped me professionally was, uh, like I said, we, uh, I, I would make the joke that we were catching up on 200 years of deferred maintenance. <laughs> and uh, we needed to replace an oil boiler that was, you know, 50 plus years old. Right. So it was, it was inefficient uh, and needed to go. And uh, the way my properties, uh, even though my neighbors have gas, I wasn't able to efficiently get natural gas, so I looked into other alternatives. And uh, a few years back, there was a tax credit for doing geothermal. Oh, yeah. And so that's what we did. Um, and uh, in that process, you know, it was, it was a you know, great process uh, that way, but we were able to remove radiators. Yeah, and so which were had been added much later from the house. Yeah, because there wasn't central heating when your house was built. Correct. So uh, one of the things was interesting. We added ductwork, and we tried to do it very discreetly. And mm -hmm. I'm actually having a, uh, uh, a tradesperson do uh, raised panel woodwork to enclose it, so it looks like the mirroring staircase. Oh so yeah. That, and so uh, part of the project was to you know improve uh, that. But also, we were sort of taking it back in many aspects by removing the cast iron radiators. We were creating spaces that hadn't been available for 130 years. Right. Um, but the most important, and if, if I look at all the different things that we did, the geothermal was great. But in order to say um, use our attic space rather, you know, rather than uh, insulate in between, you know, the uh, the second floor and the attic. Right. Uh, we decided to insulate the attic itself and make that potentially livable space. And the $3,500 I spent in insulating the attic, mm -hmm. within an hour after they left, I had to lower the thermostat. Oh, I can believe it. Because yeah, so, and that's that's building science. That's that's like basic sure. building science and, and the walls are negative plane. So when they say that you're gonna save 50% on of the heating loss through your windows, you're that's 10%. So you're saving 5%. So you're never going to get the cost of right. your, the windows back from heating. But if you insulate the attic, you definitely will. Well, I, I, I think I might have a, uh, an advantage in describing this because I just point to my head and <laughs> I'm bald. And so when it's cold, I'm cold. Right. So the first thing you do is you put a wool hat on in the yeah. wintertime and you're good. Yeah. And that's exactly what we did for that. And that's, that's where you get the best return for the dollar. And the side benefit is, is not only cheaper, it's significantly more effective, it's less invasive, uh, and, um, you know, you, you keep the aesthetic right. the integrity right. yeah. of the home. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, it, it's, it's not as exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but exciting isn't good. Car crashes are exciting. They're right, right. Well, and you can't keep selling people insulation over and over again. And, right. and from, a, from a mass production consumerism standpoint, that doesn't help. <laughs> correct, correct. So that, therefore, the insulation lobby, again, you know, <laughs> the, 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 they host boring events. You, know? you, have to, you have to bring your own food and alcohol. So. Oh, goodness. Uh, so do you have any tips for people to look for in a real estate agent, like things that you would recommend? people to to understand when they're looking for a realtor 
Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, th there's a couple different classifications. The National Association of Realtors gets all excited when we say that being a realtor means that you're a member of the association. Okay. Uh, generally, that's more focused on residential, although we do have commercial members. Uh, so, you know, anyone could be an agent or a realtor, you know, uh, and focus on many, many different things. I've got a good friend that uh, focus, this is almost a hundred percent on um, foreclosed properties okay. and short sales. So that's, there's several niches. Yeah. And uh, he's so good at that, that I've had challenging deals and I've actually referred them to him because you know what? It's more that client is going to get better service from him right. than I'm going to be able to do. Uh, you don't want a podiatrist to do brain surgery. They're both doctors, <laughs> right. they're probably both excellent. But make sure that the agent that you get is familiar with what you're trying to do. You know, um, so someone who is phenomenal with, you know, is the top seller in your area or this or that, um, if you're looking at buying something that's a potential investment or rental property or multi-unit, that may be completely out of their depth. Right. Not a, you know, not a, disservice to them or whatever and so you're sort of uh you know uh, you know I, I sometimes i make references back to cars um if we need to carry plywood you probably shouldn't buy a mini cooper right you know? <laughs> you know? or buy the mini cooper and rent an f-150 right <laughs> but if you're carrying plywood every day like let's 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 get the tool to do the job uh, and I would say the uh, doing that with the realtor is important in that aspect. And the second thing is make sure it's a good fit. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes it seems that, and uh, you know, it doesn't help with like shows like that are on HGTV where it positions the realtor sort of the star of the show. And right. They're showing the client, you know, three homes and make a decision out of these three. Sorry, um, I don't want to show endless homes, but I want to use people's time correctly. And uh, I believe in my buyer's contract and my listing contract when working with sellers, both of them, uh, you know, it states quite plainly that I work for them. They are hiring an agent. Right. So I'm, you know, I'm an independent contractor, but I'm their employee. It's got to be a good fit. Mm -hmm. And we have as realtors a fiduciary responsibility. And that means we must act in the client's interest over our own. Uh, and that's very, very important to me that, you know, from an ethics standpoint, that people understand that, you know, uh, I'm not going to try to sell you on the home that's more expensive or pays a higher commission. We want to make sure that we're getting the home that meets your needs. Right. And, and not only in the price, but in the structure of the deal, you know, and how it comes about. And is this a good you know, good fit for you, but you have to know that it's a good fit, uh, you know, uh, you know, agent-wise, you know, are they going to be able to help you uh, by setting the correct expectations and working through the process? Yeah. Okay. And then as, are there anything that you, you know, you, you know, you've been in real estate for 15 years. Was there anything that you wish you knew when you started that you've learned or that you know now? <laughs> yeah, everything. <laughs> Public confession time. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, one of the things I like about this business is um, everyone is just a little bit different, thankfully. Uh, and every house, even though it might be on the same block, 
you know, right. same style, same built, the same year by the same builder. Every house is a little bit different because we've all had these different experiences. And so uh, that means that, you know, every day I learn something new that going forward I can use to help my clients, both past and present, make uh, a good decision. You know, yeah. and so uh, yeah. it's the collective experience. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that in 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 my world too, because you know, there's sometimes that you see some a solution on a project that you're like, oh, that would have worked then. Not that what you did didn't work, but this is just a little bit of a better or a different approach. Sure, exactly, yeah. a different set yeah. of eyes, a different yeah. you know, yeah. a, a different set of circumstances, and, and possibly you know, when you're looking at. Uh, you know, uh, again, with those, some of those HGTV shows, there's the one where the guy just comes in and no matter what happens, he just rips on whatever contractor was there before. And right. I've been showing homes where people say, oh, this was done, this was done. I said, well, but you don't know, you know, how did this contractor find it? What was the budget constraint? It's right. Constrained. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they weren't necessarily bad tradesmen. It was just that. This <laughs> is, this was the goal. <laughs> right. Yeah. We have $700 to do a thousand dollar job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do. I, yeah. Yeah. I try not to go through and complain or, you know, say, oh, this was terrible. And recently we were called out um, in the past six weeks or so to figure out why a roof was leaking and the roof was redone maybe six or seven years ago. Jonathan got up on the roof. We're trying to figure it out here. It was completely done wrong. Like the flashing was done wrong. They left the old flashing. They had the drip edge behind the gutters. Everything that <laughs> they could have done wrong, they did wrong. <laughs> and and I'm like, short of drilling a hole and you yeah, know draining yeah. it directly into the house. Yes, that's exactly what was happening. I said, this is a time I can't be diplomatic. <laughs> right, right. Well, and and it's the same thing, you know, uh, when, when looking for a contractor as, right. as a realtor, we're both vendors providing a service, you know, is their skill set and knowledge, you know, appropriate for this job? Right. I mean, I've got contractors that are fantastic at doing this type work. Yeah. Um, I've got a contractor that does primarily kitchens and bathrooms and flooring. He will not paint. He will not do, you know, anything right. like that. And yeah. Because he says, I'm not good at, I'm not good at, this is where my specialty is. And I love that, that directness because I know. And you know, and he knows where he's yeah. profitable and he knows yeah. where he's successful and he can do the best work, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I've, I know uh, a, a painter, uh, you know, she's got a crew in, in Delaware County. She's absolutely amazing. But, excuse me, uh, oftentimes people will want her to start doing, you know, not prep work for painting we're getting into sheetrock work and right. stuff like that and she's like no i can tell you three people that will do it but i don't do that because we want to get in and out and paint right as quickly as possible you know and with with the best quality work and so it's i think that's important you know sometimes the person that does everything they just don't do any of it well <laughs> right yeah 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 and and sometimes people don't know their limits and that's when they're really scary <laughs> um one thing i did want to touch on um, yes. as a realtor uh, i'm on one side and then on the other side uh being uh, not only a historic homeowner but on the historic commission is there's there there is a lot of bad information and unfortunately some of it is spread by agents in terms of telling people to avoid a house that's on the national historic register okay or um is part of a uh historic preservation uh community or neighborhood uh, and and 
this information is almost always available on that specific community or township website, or you can call the township and find right. out exactly. You, now, the agent, in my opinion, should be doing this, or at least supplying the potential buyer, or even the, you know, I've, I've encountered people that know that they have an old home, but had no idea that they were in a historic area, you know, a district. And so then all of a sudden people say, oh, well, you can't change anything with that house. No, right. that's not and true. That's not true, right. You know, this isn't Elfris Alley. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, okay. You know, and, and find out what those rules are. Now, certainly before uh, buying, and there you may find uh, some big advantages in uh, certain his, uh, older properties because pr before there were codes or before zoning changes, there may be some very favorable items grandfathered in. Mm -hmm. because they were done before for instance i live in a very residential neighborhood but since my house was once a farmhouse uh, and i have two stables on the property i could have horses and some animals if i wanted right you know uh chickens whereas my neighbor they isn't. can't right yeah. you know so uh you know so, so so they're again going back to asking uh, clients questions and stuff like that this is the next step is that i believe you know i do this for my clients and try to find you know, uh, some of those information, but to, again, accurately uh, portray that. And the next thing goes to uh, something that, you know, you've done work for insurance companies and stuff like that. Uh, historic homes, you know, uh, you know, should have a proper uh, home uh, owner's insurance uh, valuation inspection. The cost of replacement is uh, oftentimes uh, more than what, you know, slap and dash plywood in or right we don't see plywood anymore we see uh <laughs> osb at best uh, <laughs> construction you know right. and you know so we can't use that you know cost of square foot uh sort of thing uh right. on that you want to make sure that you're properly insured yeah for you know, replacement versus just repair. it might be more expensive um but for instance uh, having that evaluation for instance when i went from an oil uh, uh, furnace to the geothermal, my rates went down. Okay. There's significantly less risk of a fire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, um, uh, in that, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's we're never going to have an oil leak in our basement or a right. tank. And so you, you don't know, have that, that environmental exposure either. Sure. So, you know, I, and that was something that I was uh, shocked about myself, but hey, you know, point it out, you know, uh, and you want to be properly compensated for uh, the home in the event that there's damage. Uh, you know, after a while, as you get older, you realize you've paid into insurance for a long, long time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and more often than not, the way it works is that we pay more than we'll ever get back. Right. You, know, you just want to make sure that. Yeah, it, it, not that it, it feels fair. good, but then you, you've never had anything major happen. <laughs> Correct, that's why we pay it and I'll keep yeah. paying. But yeah. I want to make sure that uh, we're just like any consumer would want to be, uh, no, you know, content in knowing that they're getting what they paid for and that's appropriate. Yeah, I, I agree. Is there anything else that you can think of that you wanted to share? Um, the, uh, you know, I, I think it's great. What I'm, I'm starting to see is a shift towards uh, some, uh, some neighborhoods and maybe houses that weren't, um, uh, not every old house is going to be Downton Abbey. You know? Right. Uh, so, uh, or you know, spectacular. Uh, you know, don't try to make it something that it isn't. But what I have seen is, 
uh, a lot of younger buyers are appreciating stuff that's authentic, uh, which is really, you know, uh, you know, heartwarming for me that, that, that value some of the history, but mm -hmm. they like, uh, they're seeming to prefer the authentic character and construction mm -hmm. rather than um, gross square footage. Right. So maybe that older craftsman home, that mid-century home, or even a, uh, you know, a Victorian era, uh, like row uh, house or brick row home, you know, uh, okay. It's got smaller windows and, uh, you know, on the facade and slightly smaller rooms. But once you step inside, you can, if you're creative and you've done research, you can really, you know, uh, connect the two times by doing some, right. you know, uh, innovative. And the neat thing about these houses are if you were looking at a 10 year old house that you wanted to knock down the wall, uh, and open up, you know, uh, I would say probably you know, 10 years old where they had the, uh, you know, we see it all the time at the, uh, colonial floor plan that is mimicking, you know, sort of the uh, partition walls of a formal oh, yeah. dining room, formal living room. Mm -hmm. Well, people aren't living that way anymore. So right. we're seeing those disappear. Well, if you, if you're working with a 10 year old home that has engineered flooring, well, you have to replace the entire floor because right. you're not going to be able to match that. No. You know, you can't refinish it in most cases. So that's why I kind of laugh and they say, oh, well, old homes are more expensive. Mm, no, I've got 200-year-old floors right. that are an inch and three-quarters thick. Yeah, they're not going to wear out. You could sand them a lot. <laughs> right. I can sand them every other year until I'm, you know, carried out of this thing feet first, and I'm still not going to make a dent. Right. In, yeah. In this. So, okay. Now, not every old house has that, but if you have, even if you have, uh, you know, the very familiar, you know, you know, turn of the century, you know, oak strip flooring. Yeah. Well, you, you've done it a million times where you've moved a wall or done something and you can sand that and you can, uh, feather that in to the point where it's, you have to be looking for it with a very, very trained eye. And oftentimes, right. you know, you can get away with making it blend in or you can innovate something that it becomes a patchwork of the character. And it's a timestamp of, you know, this is when we you know did this and it's cool, not, not hokey. Right. But uh, oftentimes in newer homes, you cannot do that. Because no, the materials, materials are definitely not forgiving. You, yeah. Right, right. And so, you know, that's where I sit there and say, I mean, I looked at a house uh, Saturday morning with a client where it had a vinyl floor, uh, and this was this was a, a, a 1,500 square foot, you know, townhouse. Yeah. In the first floor alone, it had carpet, vinyl, a tile entry, and two different types of hardwood. Oh goodness! And uh, you know, uh, and, and unfortunately, about half of it was new. <laughs> and I, I said, my advice to this person would have been redo everything continuously with right. one, even if it's a laminate floor. The, the quality of those is actually pretty good now. Yeah, they're getting um, better. Right, and you could have a contiguous space where it's going to make it flow a lot better and feel much like a larger space because mm -hmm. you don't have this limit. Uh, whereas with an older home, you can buy salvage materials. You mm -hmm. can, I mean, there's so many great things, and that's almost a hobby in itself. You know? <laughs> um, and, and doing these things to, to your house. And, yeah. and I think, um, you know, it's, it's a way to personalize it. It's a way to do it. I mean, I guess I'm... Uh, I guess I'm kind of a goofball in the sense that most kids played video games growing up. Um, I didn't collect comic books. I read Auto Trader and Hot Rod Magazine uh, <laughs> when I was like seven. 
But one of my favorite shows on TV was This Old House. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of thing. Because I just thought it was now, you know, full disclosure, my parents uh, uh, restored a 1920s era colonial house, which was built on the site of an original farmhouse. Uh -huh. So just like my house now, it had probably 18 inch thick stone walls. Oh, yeah. You know, and had been adapted. We, we actually think it was a barn that had been converted mm. to a house because yeah. the chimneys were done later kind of a thing, you know, looking back at it. Uh, but that was very, very interesting from yeah. that colonial revival period. You know, the architect was pretty prominent and it was a subdivision in the thirties, you know, right before the twenties the and the thirties, right before the depression. Uh -huh. And I just kind of laughed as I got into real estate when they would be talking about these new homes and the millwork and quality of construction. Oh, goodness. Like, where is it? <laughs> you, know, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where they had uh, inlaid and parquet floors oh, and all yeah. kinds of stuff that was just, you know, built-ins and stuff like that. And so I value that. I think it's fantastic. And I love that we're starting to see some younger buyers value that again, rather than I want, uh, they're looking for individuality and uh, uniqueness rather right. than I, I want to have uh, 4,000 square feet yeah. on uh, a third of an acre and I want it to look massive and have uh, all kinds of space that I'm never going to use. Right. Know? Well, and I was going to ask you that. Do you think it's kind of a backlash from the McMansions? Uh, yeah, um, okay. I, I, I do. I mean, in generally, um, some of the larger square foot homes that were popular, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny. Uh, some of them are painful for people because uh, that was just when I was getting started in real estate. And I remember I worked with someone, a buyer that I met off the internet, and this was a single guy. He was making about $50,000 a year and an internet bank uh, that he had contacted had approved him for four hundred thousand dollars oh my goodness and i'm trying to figure out this does not make any sense well sure if you did an interest only loan oh yeah work. yeah yeah and i said but i try to explain to them you know i said okay with an interest only loan you have the pride of ownership but you're really renting the house you right know, you, you get to maintain it you get to pay the taxes and everything but you you're not you're achieving not paying down equity, the mortgage yeah you know and so and and that was a you know, that whole loan was actually a very, very specified product that didn't have the, in, it wasn't intended to be used by so many people. So right. a lot of people in that era in uh, 2004, five, six, you know, bought these big homes because they could, right. not because they should. <laughs> and, and it caused a lot of pain, Yeah, you know? Uh, and so I think that's part of it. And people realized, well, um, I mean, one of the features I would see is that you would walk into these master bedrooms and they would have this sitting room uh, before it, or they would have a bathroom that was 500 square feet. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing in there? <laughs> you know, and, you know, and so all this space and what I found personally is that the more space we have, the more junk we collect. Right. And the further away that we get from the stuff that is actually needed. So the less stuff we have, we tend to value it more. And that's just a, you know, a, a, a yeah, you know, uh, uh, I guess philosophy type thing. But what we're what we're seeing is the home buyers now, where the kids that you know the the, the millennial generation or the youngest home buyers that are buying starter homes now, they were the ones that were in high school and college through that. Right. So they saw the financial and housing market distress through a very specific lens, mm -hmm. and they're opting in and saying, "We don't want that." 
Right. It's we don't want gross uh, consumerism. We're looking, you know, for something. That's that's why communities um, are being gentrified in the sense that uh, if they if you have walkability to a park, to shopping, to restaurants, uh, you know, those homes are going to sell well, and that's that's a key element. You know that we identify with buyers, and then also, if uh, if you're a seller and your house has that, know that exploit, you know, publicize and exploit that. Yeah. That this is yeah. part of the experience. Highlight it, yeah, yeah. Okay, very good. And I know you said you serve Delaware and Chester County in in Pennsylvania. Are there? Mm-hmm. Are, how can our how can our um, listeners contact you? The uh, well, my my bat signal like. Uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, it, it, it isn't working well right now, but uh, the easiest way is uh, uh, text or call on the phone. Uh, okay. There you go. 610-637-8598 or joe at joemccormick.net. Uh, okay. It always seems that my, my uh, website linked with my broker uh, or, you know, the, the national affiliation oh, yes. of Remax is seems to always be under construction. And by the time I get it the way I want it, it's like time to update it again. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and I've, uh, I've been meaning to do some different stuff. I'm, I'm inspired by your uh, podcast and stuff to, uh, oh, thank you. To, to get a little bit more uh, active with uh, sharing some of that stuff. Um, uh, even, even some of the stuff that I'm doing with my, uh, with my own house. And uh, I uh, recently made the acquaintance of a local guy who, uh, I believe has done a good amount to help, uh, you know, uh, inject some energy into older houses. Uh, Jeff Devlin, who uh, oh, yeah. the, uh, show um, Stonehouse Revival, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, Jeff's a, a a neat guy in that he is actually uh, opened a new business here in Exton uh, at the Exton Mall <laughs> of all places that uh, specializes in teaching people how to do traditional methods he's yes. got a full modern wood shop but he'll take you you know with a drawing knife and teach you how to hand hune uh, uh, stuff and do you know mortise and tenon joints with a combination of modern tools and right. old chisels and stuff like that yeah. which I think is really cool because um, you know he and I are uh, uh, talking about doing some different stuff where encouraging old homeowner you know owners of older homes to be able to take classes with them to say, Oh, I want to duplicate a piece of trim right. rather than using that home depot stock. Yeah. You know, and if it's so, a small enough piece, you can do it by hand. I mean, you couldn't absolutely. do it. a whole house by hand would be really, exactly, would be, exactly. it wouldn't, it wouldn't be reasonable, but yeah, when there's a small piece that just needs to be replicated, Jonathan will oftentimes just, you know, cut that piece stock and then, you know, yeah. carve it because you can do that faster than setting up all the tools and exactly, the exactly. and yeah. the knives and everything else that you need. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and so, uh, just great that way of saying, you know, uh, you know, providing people a gateway to do it. And, um, you know, uh, there's been a couple lately, uh, borough of Westchester posted one. And I think there's another one coming up on the Pennsylvania historic preservation network about, um, you know, educating people and, giving them a hands-on on repairing, uh, you know, wood sash windows, right. whether they're weighted or not, which I think is great because uh, people are going to attend that. And just like you said, if it's a small piece or if it's one window, a homeowner will tackle that themselves. Yeah. When it's beyond that, you know, they're not necessarily going to, you know, want to take on, it's like a full-time job doing right. it. 
but at least they have the appreciation for what's involved and right. they uh, will be able to identify good contractors like you guys that understand they're not well, and, and, yeah, doing and, this and, for the first time. Yeah, and, and we had a woman who was like, I never, she watched Jonathan hang a door and sometimes hanging a door is a process. So you have to take it on and off and on and off oh, to yeah. get it fit in right. And she's like, I never realized how much work went into fitting a door. She's like, I appreciate what you do now so much sure. more than I did. You know, I didn't realize, you know, all the work that went into it. Right. And, and I do think that people understand then once they can see it. And also some of that like lower skill stuff like window restoration, not that window restoration is low skill, but there's a lot of paint stripping and right, exactly. things like that that if a homeowner can do that it saves a lot of money and then you can put your money towards something else that needs higher skill right exactly and, and when you guys come on a job i'm sure that you're looking to an estimate you're like okay can i present it so if you do this work and i do this work, we, we sometimes do because you know it I, I have done my fair fair share of paint stripping, but if if you have you know if you if especially if it's summertime, we'll say if you can get a college kid to come in, you can watch them, make sure they're careful. They can this can be their summer job, and then we can come in and do the repairs. Exactly, exactly, yeah. and, and and I mean that's that's a great thing to do because people yeah. sometimes don't understand the level of craftsmanship and the experience that enables someone to build you know, at $150 an hour because they're, you know, craftsmen, you right. know, um, well, it's, it's inefficient to have them, you know, working on scraping a window. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so if, you know, so, and that's one of the things where I try to, uh, you know, sort of going back to setting the expectations when people say, Oh, older homes are more expensive. Right. <laughs> but that's because you're approaching the job from a different angle, not, right. you know, a restore rather than uh, remove and replace, which right. once you do that, you know, my windows are 200 years old. They haven't been touched before. So if I, if, if I do all this work that you're describing, you know, uh, some of it myself and pay, you know, the, for the technical aspect right. to, be, to be done, Oh, well, likely they're going to be good for another 200 years. Oh, you definitely. Yeah. That's a great investment. <laughs> it is. It is. And with a little bit of maintenance, you know, making sure they're painted and sealed. Yeah, they will last another 200 years. Yeah, absolutely. And actually with the old wood, even not maintaining sometimes, you know, as long as the wood can dry out, I mean, eventually exactly. it'll catch up with you, but you, you have a little bit more time. <laughs> well, exactly. So, you know, is, 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 and usually, you know, and, and I'm glad that you brought that up because usually the problems um, with older homes, uh, I point out, are oftentimes caused by, you know, other subsequent owners or uh, things. And one of the things I point out to is like when we go into a house and you see that someone in the 70s insulated it and they over insulated it and don't allow the house to breathe or breathe properly. Yeah, we were in and a so house on you, Saturday that had that problem. Right. And then, and then all of a sudden you've got rot in the soffits that shouldn't be there and stuff like that. All kinds of weird little, you know, issues for, you know, uh, going back to some of the siding, you know, they had wood clapboard siding and then they put vinyl or aluminum over it. Yeah. And so with the wood, it was a breathable element. So if it got wet, even internally, it could dry out eventually, right. you know, slowly. But once you put that, that, that covering on it, you've sealed it you're trapping, much more yeah, you're trapping. right and exactly and uh, and it's funny because you know uh you know cars are also my hobby and the same same parallels happened um they would take old cars and they would rust proof them by putting this undercoating on the bottom oh well you just covered up all the drain holes <laughs> so 
uh, we call it an M and M. It looks like a you know it's a thin candy shell. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's deteriorating from the inside out, and when you see that first little hole, it's all over. You know, right. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, that's it's like that's that's my big thing with um, internal gutters in the Victorian, mostly Victorian right, houses. Right. That once you start seeing the water come through, the damage has been done. So that's like one of those constant maintenance things, you know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I learned a lot. I'm I'm glad that you were able to to share your knowledge with our listeners. Um, is there? I, you told us where to find you um, and where you're where you serve. Is there anything else you want to share before we're we're done for the morning? Uh, uh, you know, please, people. Um, you know, educate yourselves. Uh, when uh, Danielle hosts a seminar, attend it um, because. Uh, uh, it's uh, well. The last one uh, uh, in Lancaster was fantastic. Uh, you know, a tour of the James Buchanan House um, well, was uh, an added bonus. Yeah. And uh, you learn a lot, and uh, certainly worth the time and every dollar uh, that you would pay. But education is, is is fantastic. You always learn something, and uh, and like I said, attending local historical commission or uh, group meetings, and even. Uh, you know, volunteering to serve on those boards. It, uh, it gives you a special appreciation for how zoning happens, the good and the bad. Uh, and you're at least giving a voice, your voice to your community. And that's important. You yes. know, uh, yes. you know, the, a, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, there's a, a quote uh, that's been attributed to a bunch of different people, but it's, uh, you know, the only thing you need for evil to flourish is good, you know, people do nothing. Right. Uh, I appropriated that for zoning. The only you know, thing for evil, bad uh, construction to happen is for good people to say nothing. You know, right. to not to not participate. Yeah. And so that's how that's what enables historically viable properties to be torn down when they should be saved. Right. Because people didn't take the time to get involved, whether through social media or through you know uh, things. You know, let's let's preserve uh, our history and. I grew up in Delaware County and work in there in, in Chester County. And there is a pretty significant difference between the um, amount of, and focus of preservation between the two, not only in uh, historic properties, but open space. And, uh, you know, it's a shame to see, you know, old stuff uh, right now, uh, uh, right along the Franklin Mint property on Route 1, um, some historic uh, homes were, were torn down and they could have been saved. They could have been valuable, you know, uh, resources. Right. Yeah. You know? And and I do tell people too, that like, if you, if you want to ensure preservation happens in your community, it's all done at the local level. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the demolition is approved at local level, you know, all of those things. So if you can work within your community to then write your zoning or write, you know, write, work to, to, to when those, when those reviews are being done to say, at least there needs to be a review of a process for demolition or, you know, things like that, 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 that's the way to really impact because yeah. it's all done at the local township municipal level. And, and historic preservation is uh, extremely green. You know? It is. It is. That is if, very if, true. If you look at what yeah. the energy would be to tear down this old stone house, 
And then, well, even though these rocks came from the earth, then it's, it, you know, the uh, fill uh, right. somewhere, um, you know, the uh, amount that it would take to rebuild something yeah. of its size, you know, is, is a huge carbon footprint where we can uh, not only have something that's aesthetically pleasing and, and historically relevant, uh, it, it can also uh, provide good for the planet. You're never going to be able to get old growth wood like uh, that's in these homes. No, uh, that, that is know, very true. Yeah. You know, that, that is reworkable, refinishable. It's, it's you know, I, I believe uh, that, that's important too. And we should know where we came from. Yeah, you know? I agree. Well, thank you very much. Have a, have a great rest of your day. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.